0: I wish I'd given that villain even more flaws so it'd be easier to kill later. Right. <laughs> I wish the flaw was poor health. <laughs> low
1: con. Yeah, weak constitution. <laughs> Hemophiliac. <laughs> Sweat Lodge in New York City. I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 50 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode,
0: we're talking about character flaws. But first, the party tracks an enemy across the City of Towers in the Morning Glory campaign, and the Executioner carries out his duty in the Character Creation Forge.
1: So we are recording this a few days after Fourth of July weekend. Ishan, how was your Fourth of July?
0: Um. I didn't see any fireworks, but I had a lot of cocktails.
1: Yeah. Any other surprises? Uh,
0: Afterward, the next day, it turns out we got nominated for an Emmy.
1: I know. What What are they thinking?
0: <laughs> and it was for Best Podcast. Wait, what? <laughs> I know.
1: That sounds like we should be good at this. <laughs> I don't know who the
0: judges were. Oh, yeah. I, we paid them off, clearly. <laughs> Obviously. They're wonderful people. Right.
1: <laughs> With questionable tastes. <laughs> Our kind of people. <laughs> um, so yeah, so the way the annies work is you're nominated by judges and then it's open to a fan vote as to who the actual winners are. It's a
0: popularity contest in essence. Right. So we're stealing ourselves for crushing defeat. However, we are not above politicking.
1: Right. <laughs> so we are here to beg you to vote for us.
0: I mean, we beg for reviews every single week, so now, for the next two weeks, we will just be begging for votes.
1: You know, we've got 50 episodes and 24 reviews, so that, that <laughs> this should get us one vote, <laughs> which will bring us to three total votes. I'm really excited about this. We just have to beat it everyone else. Right. <laughs> so you can vote at any-awards.com. And polls are open from July 11th to July 21st. So it's just a limited time thing. Right. So
0: go ahead and just
1: do it right now. In fact,
0: pause the podcast and go to the website and vote. Do it early and do it often. Well, probably not often. I think you can just vote once. Yeah, I
1: think you can only vote once, but, you know, (laughs) vote early. That's nice.
0: Yeah. Definitely don't vote late. Please don't. for just a brief moment of sincerity, we actually are really sort of amazed that we got nominated and we really appreciate all of the fans and we're really excited to see what happens at Gen Con.
1: Yeah. And, uh, if you want to come hang out with us at the any awards, we will be in the crowd crossing our fingers. Yeah. Hopefully two or three drinks deep.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We're really good losers. Yeah,
1: but we're really great winners. Right. (laughs) Either way, we're probably buying drinks. Yeah. All right, so where are we in the Morning Glory campaign?
0: When last we left the party, they were in the Mournland. The plan is to retrieve the skull of Raoul Tulkesh, which is currently fused to the head of the Lord of Blades.
1: And Ral'Tul Tulkesh being the Rage of War.
0: Yes, which the party helped kill in the past, but now they need to retrieve his vestige so that they can create an apparatus capable of actually killing an immortal being.
1: Oh, yeah, that'll work.
0: Maybe. <laughs> the only way to find out is to gather all the pieces. So when they went to the Moorland, which is the last place they met the Lord of Blades, they didn't find him. In fact, they didn't find many warforged at all. It turns out, Merrick to Caneth, one of the scions vying for control of House Caneth, came and took the Lord of Blades away. It seemed like they were actually kind of on friendly terms, which the, the party had pieced together makes sense because the Lord of Blades originally had been Regulus, the manservant of Aaron DeCanneth, Merricks' father. Right. So it seems like they get along at least well enough that the Lord of Blades and most of his warforged retinue went to Sharn with Merricks. So that's where the
1: party heads. So we had been to Sharn before. But and loved it. Never looking for Merricks Decanneth. Turns out Everyone knows where he is. Yeah, he's, he's basically
0: evil Tony Stark. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's in got, a big tower. it has got it's, his name on it. It's <laughs> the <De Kenneth> Industries. <laughs> but, of course, the party at this point, you're level what, 15, 16? Yes. So the party's extraordinarily capable. You could have basically teleported to the front door or flown up to it, but that would have been far too obvious. And from all your research, you knew that Merrick's is an extremely powerful artificer. probably got tons of wards and you wanted to make sure that he and the Lord of Blaze didn't know you were coming so the party took the long way well first
1: of all we talked to an old contact
0: that's right you got in touch with Maven de who initially had worked on the warforged experiments ordered by Merrick's during the last war left because she was disgusted by them faked her own death and then the party tracked her down
1: yeah so she was in hiding and provided us a safe house and a lot of information I believe
0: Yeah, she also reconnected you with your old pal, Molly Bolt. Oh, Molly. The the crazy warforged who had been stuck in a sensory deprivation tank for four years until the party had freed her and, in their first act of heroism, didn't kill her, but in fact rescued her.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Her and that annoying voice. That annoying, screaming, screeching
0: voice. Hello?
1: Oh, God.
0: She hasn't gotten much better. No. (laughs) She's still crazy. But she and Maven have become pals. She's recuperating. And Maven has actually sent Molly to infiltrate the warforged who arrived from the Mornland with the Lord of Blades. So she has a way in.
1: The long way in. Yeah. Yeah. And by the long way, we, of course, mean some light breaking and entering. (laughs) So if you remember,
0: Sharn is called the City of Towers because it is essentially downtown Manhattan, but much taller. And with lots of bridges connecting all the towers. Exactly. The towers are maybe 2,000 feet tall. And so the party basically starts at the
1: bottom and starts climbing. Lots and lots of stairs. Started at the bottom, now we're here.
0: (laughs) So they follow Molly uh, across a, a path that, ...is meant to obscure their trail so that Merix and the Lord of Blades don't know that they're coming. So they're going up and across towers, always heading toward Merix's tower. And on this journey, they see the full range of city dwellers in Sharn. Shopkeepers, school children, areas that are mostly inhabited by clerks who are working. They pass through noble districts and hanging gardens... And finally, they come to a tower that is just a few towers away from Merix's. And this is where they start to meet actual opposition. So they need to sneak past a few Warforged guards. They do kill a few because that's what they do. We got ambushed. (laughs) It's true.
1: We had to keep them from signaling the alarm. Yeah.
0: And you will notice that Bastion, who bills himself as a hero of the Warforged, did join in the killing. Mm Mm-hmm. Reluctantly. Ish. (laughs) But the combat wasn't particularly difficult. The main thing they had to do was do it quietly, quickly, and stealthily. So the party makes it over to the main tower, subdues the guards there, and then climbs into the apex, where they enter a field that makes them feel heavy. They can't really identify exactly what it is. And across the way, they see... Merix and the Lord of Blades standing next to each other next to the boarding ramp of an airship and between them is a beautiful statuesque tall woman with bloody stumps where it seems like wings used to be
1: yeah so we're gonna have to fight her yeah because that's what you do <laughs>
0: <laughs> and Merrick's orders her to fight you right yeah so she's
1: some some type of fallen angel or something of that sort kind of feel bad about it but also she is trying to kill us
0: it's very true uh, later you did some research she's a radiant idol which is actually basically a fallen angel uh, an angel who tried to be worshipped as a god and then is cast out of Syriana and has their rings ripped off wings ripped off
1: so she deserved it yeah is what you're
0: saying totally yeah exactly you do have a little banter with Merrick, who basically said, I don't know who you are, but I'm pretty sure you killed Zorlan, so thank you. <laughs> yeah, I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. Uh,
1: all
0: right. That was helpful. P.S. Zorlan is dead. Okay. <laughs> so I'm about to go become the new Gorgon. Uh, you guys stay here and die.
1: Uh, that's a little rude, don't you think? He was a little rude, honestly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we yeah. could have been friends.
0: Well, I mean, then, you know, a bunch of you started throwing spells at him because you were angry.
1: Which he proceeded to absorb.
0: Yeah, they just sort of spiraled into him and fizzled. And you weren't really sure why.
1: Well, I think Lou had seen this before because she had the ring of spell storing, right?
0: Yes, she had seen a similar effect. You're right. She had hex Maw. Yeah. Uh, which was capable of storing spells.
1: Though not unintentionally.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And not nearly as many as you guys were throwing at Right, right. <laughs> you quickly figured out, all right, maybe we won't waste spells on Merrix. Also, he doesn't seem to be attacking us, yeah. which is weird. Yeah. And fight. So quickly the party realizes, because, again, they're high level and they're used to doing this, that they cannot fly or teleport for some reason. That field that makes them feel heavy is preventing them from doing so. So... Basically, it's an all-out, on-the-ground melee scrum with
1: this big, scary angel lady. While well, Merix watches and laughs on the sidelines.
0: Yeah, basically. He doesn't seem to get involved, and the Lord of Blades seems to be oddly quiet and ret- reticent. Yeah. Anyway, this is, again, one of those battles where it's the entire party against one person. She dishes out a lot of damage because she has a huge angel-sized sword, mm-hmm. and which does, you know, a bunch of extra angelic damage as you do in 5e. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, But eventually you took her down And then Merrick's
1: left Yeah, Merrick's
0: totally left Merrick's was
1: like, okay, well I'm out, later boners
0: (laughs) Got on the airship The party started running across the room To get to him And then they hear an explosion
1: Far, far below And And the tower starts to shake And then collapse And everybody falls Yeah So that happened But we'll find out what happened next next week so this week we're talking about character
0: flaws you know those things that make your character interesting
1: so what are character flaws
0: all the things that i try to avoid when i am building a character (laughs) right because
1: you only build paragons of (laughs) virtue
0: mary seuss right (laughs) i must have a contingency for every possibility
1: So character flaws are the faults or imperfections that mar a character's personality or physical capabilities. They're, you know, the opposite of your merits, your ideals, or your high concept.
0: Yeah, it's usually a relatively small part of a character, right? Your character is one thing, except that they have a flaw that is often in opposition to their
1: actual concept. Right. My character is a paladin, but he has a drinking problem.
0: My character is... Brave and strong, but has a crippling fear of spiders.
1: Oh, I thought you were gonna go with snakes. <laughs> I was gonna go with Indiana Jones next.
0: He has many flaws. Right. <laughs> so dragons, no problem. Trolls, yeah, I'll kill trolls. Ettercaps, I'm out.
1: Out. Yeah. Forget this. Driders, no way, Jose. <laughs> uh-uh.
0: <I would> <laughs> no drow. I have one rule: no drow. Right. Second rule: also, also no, no drow. drow. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So, so why are flaws important? Why do we want flaws in our RPGs? Because like you said, you could make any character you want. Why not just make that perfect character who is unimpeachably honorable, the Galahad? So we talked about this a bit in the
0: Munchkin episode. I used to make characters that could do everything pretty well. or At least I tried to. And, you know, pretty quickly you realize that that's kind of boring. It's interesting to have things that you're not necessarily good at. You know, it keeps you from being a one note character imagine a champion fighter (laughs) boring build Mm -hmm. but who's you know pretty good at stabbing things yeah well that's it
1: i am a fighter yeah i have a name but i'm a fighter
0: (laughs) if only there was something
1: that helped distinguish them so i'm a fighter who's still fighting the war of the red steps in my mind See, that's interesting. I'm haunted by my past.
0: Even a champion fighter is interesting. Right, that. right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because every
1: time you wade into combat, you're not sure how you're going to deal with it afterwards, mm-hmm. right? You have character development that's going on every time you do what you do.
0: Yeah, and a flaw like that acts as a really good guide for role-playing. Because, I don't know, what does this champion fighter do in different kinds of battles? They probably act the same way every single time because mechanically that's what you're doing. you just swing your sword and hit a thing and it dies, right?
1: Right, but you could be a champion fighter who is a uh, prize-winning gladiator. You're going to use violence to solve lots of problems, right? Whereas if you're haunted by your violent past, you're going to try and avoid violence as long as possible, even though you're really good at it. Right. The bloodiest battle of the War of the
0: Red Steps was in a box canyon. Oof. (laughs) Yeah. Oof. (laughs) So I approach every battle tactically to make sure that we don't get boxed in.
1: This also gives you another layer of differentiation for your character. So think of two paladins with different flaws. You might serve the same deity, you might be the exact same class, but it gives you a a personal distinction. It keeps my character in this game from being different from your character in last game or every other character out there sitting on the internet.
0: Yeah, and this can happen in the same game, two characters in the same game that are being played at the same time. It can also happen across games. Like we talked about specialist characters a few weeks ago. They might play the same kind of character, right? The ninja that has one flaw, but perhaps in the next game their ninja has a different flaw and right. at least it feels different.
1: Yep, rather than just differentiation, it's another way to tie characters together, mm-hmm. right? So maybe we both have a gambling problem. You know, that's how we're our characters are tied together is that they spend their nights in gambling halls getting into trouble.
0: Yeah, we're totally different and yet we have this thing in common which is sometimes more interesting than having uh, an ability in common. Exactly. Because
1: usually If we're both rogues, we're just going to be trying to pick the same locks, right? Right, yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But if if we both have drinking problems, we'll both go to the tavern together. In fact, if I go to the tavern, it's going to be tough for you not to. Right. And vice versa. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, uh, in our Rogue Trader game that you're running, Jim's character and my character, have, well, we have compatible flaws. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I was a drug addict and he was a drug (laughs) dealer. Right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Which actually brings us to the next benefit. They provide hooks for the GM. So they're plot hooks, they're NPC interaction hooks, they're ways of getting the PCs to hook to each other.
0: Yeah, this is something to consider if you have Munchkin tendencies or if you're one of those people who just doesn't like to have something wrong with your character. They are hooks for the GM which means that they're opportunities for your character to be in the spotlight, for things to happen to them.
1: Yeah, because the problem when you have that character that has a contingency for everything and has no weaknesses is the GM is unlikely to bother with you Mm -hmm. because he knows there's not a way to really approach you. That's what you wanted in that build so he ignores you and that's not satisfying either.
0: Yeah, it's going to get old very quickly. But having those exploitable hooks, right? That's that's bait
1: for a GM. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you want your GM to be posing dilemmas and these story-defining quandaries that are going to shape the direction of your campaign for the next few weeks.
0: Right? Yeah, the fun thing about playing role-playing games is overcoming adversity and obstacles and challenges. But if you don't have any challenges to overcome in the first place, what's the point?
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, if you think of some of our long-running campaigns or some of our favorite RPG stories, a lot of times you're thinking of that time when a character had a choice to do A or B and choosing A closed off option B and choosing B closed off option A, right? Mm-hmm. When you have that situation and that's tied to your character because it's your flaw, it's that much more impactful at the table because now your flaw is either going to be the cause or, of the decision, or it's going to be overgrown, overshadowed. It will be development because of the decision that you've made.
0: Yeah, I think it's also great for everyone else at the table. It's not just rewarding for the person who has the flaw, but for most character flaws, they're they're on the table. The whole party knows about them. Everybody knows that this fighter is afraid of spiders. Everybody knows that the rogue is a drunk. It's not always a problem, but we're adventuring... (laughs) Perhaps we have had a few near misses and we've had to drag the rogue out of the tavern so that he doesn't spill the beans about
1: where we're headed to go right. find treasure. Yeah, loose lips. If <laughs> a bad, uh, bad flaw for a rogue, huh?
0: <laughs> but when the flaw actually comes to the fore and when that character needs to make a decision, everybody is invested in it because we've all been waiting. we have It's Chekhov's flaw.
1: Right, Yeah. <laughs> That's that character growth moment, right? You can't grow from the apex of your character archetype, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, the paragon has no, no room to move. And then part of it, too, is you can't just instantly overcome your flaw, right? You have to play your flaw long enough. You have to succumb to it so that you can set up that arc. So you could seek redemption for whatever mistakes you've made because of your drinking or your loose lips or your irresponsibility with money.
0: There will be a cost to having that flaw, and that price will be paid
1: right and then you know sometimes you have characters that lose themselves to their flaw where playing that flaw adversely impacts the party so much that it's just a heel turn so they're now a villain you just you've lost because of that they've been overcome and that's okay too it's still character growth right
0: yeah it can definitely be an interesting way to lose a character
1: Yeah, you're not (laughs) dead-dead, but you're dead to me. (laughs) Everyone else wishes you were dead-dead. Right, yeah.
0: (laughs) We talked a bit about this in the three-act story episode where you can't overcome the flaw right at the beginning, right? But you can engage with the flaw. You can interact with the flaw multiple times throughout the story.
1: Yeah, exactly. So... If your fighter has to charge in there into the spider's nest and single-handedly save the party and everyone knows that he is terrified as he does this, right? That this is his personal hell. (laughs) But you're all stuck in webs and he's the only one who's free and he has to overcome that. How much more powerful is that moment if he has run away from combat with the spiders on the way in, Mm -hmm. right? If he has left a dungeon because the treasure was guarded by some type of editor cap.
0: Yeah, and this works for multiple kinds of games. Maybe this is a situation that is role-played at the table and the player decides, okay, this character is now going to finally overcome this flaw. Maybe it's one of those games where you're all will save. Mm-hmm. And that's amazing and intense too. Yeah. You know, is this is this going to happen or, or is this going to run away and leave us to die?
1: Well, I think a lot of players like to do that too, just because they don't want to be responsible for a negative outcome with their flaw. So they say, let me roll it and see what happens, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And then play the result of the flaw. Exactly.
1: And then it's it's kind of more fair to the group that, hey, look, yes, I took this flaw, but our GM put this flaw in play. And so now I'm going to let the dice resolve it because I don't want to be responsible. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> So
0: speaking of that, what makes a good flaw? Because I think we've all been in games where someone picks a bad
1: flaw. Yeah, so (laughs) it has to give you some meaningful differentiation for your character versus other characters that might have a similar class, a similar background, a similar homeland, a similar occupation, a similar party role, those types of things.
0: Yeah, if the barbarian's flaw is easily angered. Yeah, (laughs) okay, all right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and also that that carves out space that can't be used by someone else so the other barbarian
1: are they not easily angered right <laughs> I guess I'm just moderately angered <laughs> just running a constant simmer I'm I'm upset right. okay <laughs> it also needs to actually
0: matter in the game and the game system that you're playing
1: uh, yeah and not not just the game and game system, but the setting and adventure, right? I think of GURPS's famous flaw, halitosis, bad breath. I don't know how many times that's come up where you were so close face-to-face with another PC or NPC that your bad breath really mattered.
0: Well, surely halitosis just came with a straight penalty to charisma, yeah? I don't
1: think it did. Was there a penalty to social skills? I, some Some type of minor penalty, yeah so it never came out never no so it wasn't a flaw yeah exactly (laughs) and also you know a good flaw can actually be a merit if you're in the right limited circumstances for example if your flaw is crippling paranoia you might be abrasive and untrusting to new people but you're very unlikely to ever walk into a trap
0: yeah this happens a lot in fiction where you have the character who's mostly useless, which is a thing you can do in fiction but not really in a game. You don't want to do that in a game. Right. Mostly useless is bad. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a bad flaw.
0: But eventually their mostly useless thing, you know, one episode in an entire season totally saves the day. Right.
1: It's usually the sage character, unfortunately. <laughs> Except in Bones, I guess. In which case then it's the strong and attractive and tough character who only occasionally matters. Anyway, Bones. Whatever. What's his name? Angel is always oh, like yeah. useless because Bones is so much smarter than him. And then occasionally, like once a season, he has to punch something, and it's like, oh, hey, look, it's handy. Why doesn't he just vamp out? Oh, uh, it's because he's constantly in sunlight. <laughs> he has a he has a soul now, right? Right. Ugh, <laughs> idiot. <laughs> see,
0: see, not having a soul, right? But that was a flaw, but sometimes totally came in handy, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm good. Why? Oh, no soul.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean that was Emery's flaw oh, yeah. in the Morning Glory campaign mm-hmm. was uh, her soul had been sold to fiends uh, without her consent <laughs> <laughs> but there were times when not having a soul yeah, didn't really handy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know the flip side of a paranoid character an overly trusting character might be easily conned and might therefore be slightly untrustworthy to the party but he might also end up developing a valuable bond with like a politician who is wrongfully accused
0: Yeah, how many times has this happened where the little kid befriends everybody and all the other characters need to run around and make sure the kid doesn't get themselves kidnapped or killed, but they befriend the friendly giant. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. A flaw also needs to be small enough or manageable enough that it doesn't overpower the main storyline or steal the spotlight from other characters.
1: I think this is the most important because a flaw that doesn't come up doesn't really harm a game. But a flaw that outshines everything is a nightmare for the GM and the other players. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at you, Kender. (laughs) I don't understand personal property. Worst flaw ever.
0: You just need uh, an entire party that's patient with you and isn't reliant on their equipment.
1: Yeah, you just need a party who really enjoys talking to children for four (laughs) hours at a time. Monks.
0: An entire party of monks. Stole our weapons. Uh, we're okay. It's fine. Yeah. Stole my armor. Yeah, we're, we're we'll, good. We'll get, yeah, it's we'll fine. get
1: Stole my gold. <laughs> took, a, took a vow of poverty. <laughs> Won't stop talking. I don't sleep. Yeah. <laughs> Elven monks. Right. So, yeah, you want a flaw that can be called forward but isn't omnipresent.
0: Again, when you're modeling characters or picking flaws that you've seen in fiction, usually those can be much larger or more tolerable. I think of the example D&D players often use when they're talking about a flaw or maybe, you know, oh, why I like rolling stats is uh, Rastlin from Dragonlance mm-hmm. who has very, very low con. right Now, a con of three or four is probably unplayable in most games mm, yeah. if you're a wizard with 1d4, 1d6 hit points. Yeah, with one hit point, you mean. <laughs> one hit point per level. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, you know this is a bit of an aside but i never understood that being the justification for random stats yeah you could just choose to dump yeah I'm con that. that low right mm-hmm. and play a character or play a dumb wizard yeah or pick whatever. it at an eight. yeah Th-
0: that that is interesting that's right. fun it's not unplayable right yeah.
1: I, I mean even if you want an unplayable combination right if that's if that's the appeal of random stats Fine, just roll randomly. Which is your dump stat, and then put something low in that. I, I don't know why you need forty six drop one or three d six down the line. People depends on the game, right? Yeah. Uh, back to flaws. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Pedantry. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it also needs to be something that, when invoked, has the possibility of being overcome when it really counts. Because that's the interesting part about the flaw. Ultimately,
1: yeah. The flaw that is an instant lose for the party when it gets triggered is not a good flaw (laughs) uh, you don't want to shape the campaign in a negative direction because you took a flaw that is not good for anybody either
0: yeah because that makes it the next one which is disruptive to the party or the story or the gm right it doesn't honor the social contract if your hit points are so low that one magic missile will auto kill you
1: right yeah oh once again why are we bringing you along?
0: Yeah, we we yeah. left you. We should leave you at home. And now you're an NPC. Right. That's what you do. Yeah, this yeah. is your job now. Mm-hmm. This is your life. If your flaw is steals from the party, well, we left you at home. Right. in a ditch. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I will say, so Five E in general, the flaws are not mechanical. They're just uh, role playing elements. But it actually does have some dangerous flaws, mm-hmm. especially if players are really asserting the flaws so i'm thinking of the acolyte has uh, i think the six on the d6 is once i pick a goal i become obsessed with it to the detriment of everything else in my life uh yeah so there's five other people at the table right that are going to be that detriment
0: <laughs> right that's not a flaw that's that's a mental illness yeah yeah exactly
1: <laughs> which by the way mental illnesses not flaws right not flaws diseases.
0: It's too bad that there are a bunch of game systems that call them flaws. I know that is one of the frustrating. We'll get to that in a little bit. Actually, let's get to that now. Okay. (laughs) So flaws can be mechanical in nature, like we talked about low con, or they can be flavor terrified of spiders, OCD.
1: Yeah, and then depending on the system, it could be both. Mm -hmm. Right? So you could have that role-playing element of uh, terrified of spiders, but that could give you disadvantage on attacks in the presence of spiders.
0: Yeah, there are a lot of game systems where you, as part of building your character, you're actually picking mechanical flaws that often have a role-playing element as well. Right. Uh, And that (laughs) tends to be where the problem lies, if I'm being honest. (laughs) Because when it's actually built into character creation, usually... You get something for taking flaws. You get more points. Right, yeah. So you're just leaving character (laughs)
1: creation points on the table if you're not maxing out your flaws. And I'm looking at you, Savage Worlds. Mm Mm-hmm. Or GURPS or any RPG published before 95, probably? Cortex. Cortex
0: totally is. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Lovely. And 3.5 had the uh, Unearthed Arcana flaws. (laughs) You would take a flaw and then you would get a feat. Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) flaw minus four to spot and listen yeah free feet persistent divine metamagic (laughs) (laughs) it's great for min maxers bad for tables
1: yeah everyone else Mm -hmm. yeah it is one of the oldest and cheesiest character design strategies in the hobby
0: yeah the you would look through the resources and find the flaw that's going to have the least impact on your character or your concept or one that you know you just don't care about i'm not the face halitosis is fine
1: right yeah (laughs) the hideous flaw gives me minus two to charisma but i dumped charisma i don't care the hideous flaw gives me a bonus to intimidation yeah (laughs) yeah that's the worst when (laughs) when flaws are literal benefits yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, or you'll look for the ones that are, like, really niche and unlikely to actually show up in a game. So, like, well, I actually took this one recently in a game, but, like, a major phobia of triskaidekaphobia. phobia, I'm scared of the number 13. All right, how are you going to work that into the game, GM? And it's a lose-lose, right? The GM
0: either doesn't work it in or does work it in, but that's a lot more work.
1: Right, yeah. Or, yeah. you know, it could be things like fear of flying, Right, in a game where you know you're going to be in the same city for the entire game, we're not going to be flying anywhere else. What does this matter? Yeah, or it's a low magic pirate
0: game. Yeah. There's not going to be flying. Right. Yeah. You know, Savage Worlds has the flaw obese, which actually Doesn't makes you tougher. Give you, it plus yeah, one to toughness. Gives you toughness. Because you have more body mass. Yeah. <laughs> it like slows your speed. Right, and the drawback is, yeah, you know, you have trouble fitting in tight spaces. Yeah, okay. You well, might have to buy
1: two carriage tickets yeah and it's savage world (laughs) so i'm obviously just going to shoot things anyway because melee (laughs) is super deadly great my archer will take that all day which you know not inaccurate for real life really (laughs) yeah Yeah, or you know like halitosis you get the flaws that are just easy to overlook you know like yeah i've got bad breath but good luck ever calling on that on my character sheet yeah i use it to
0: buy a plus two to hit
1: yeah (laughs) yeah exactly you don't like my bad breath i will kill you right (laughs) so yeah it just that's how you min max it right and you have to be aware of that as a gm because you don't want players to take these things just to boost their merits or their benefits or get an extra feed or power or something that helps their build uh when they're clearly just trying to avoid paying any cost for it
0: unless it is one of those systems where you're sort of expected to do that i mean savage world's you kind of need to take as many flaws as you can. So everybody just picks ones that don't really matter, which, well, that's a flaw of the system. That's a system problem, yeah. yeah. Which. So is, maybe someday okay. the system will overcome that flaw in a moment of crisis.
1: The system doesn't need to overcome the flaw. The players just need to not be min-maxers.
0: Oh, right? is that it?
1: Because systems don't need to encourage players on how to play at all. That's not their responsibility. All right, everybody take obese. Right. <laughs> it's weird how savage the world is when everybody's out of shape. <laughs> also double barrel shotgun <laughs> and Bowie knife and Bowie knife. Yeah. So, let's say that you have some players who aren't min-maxing. What are some ways to reward them for actually playing their flaws? Reward them for playing their flaws? What? <laughs> Giving a carrot and not just a stick? What what kind of dungeon master are you?
0: <laughs> One who might have players return. <laughs> this is Don't preposterous. Like this at all. So, like we mentioned before, one of the reasons you want characters to have flaws is because they are hooks, you know? They're opportunities for a GM to rope in characters to get them to do something or to present them with moral quandaries or crises. So when they actually play them, when they suffer for them in game in some manner, you do want to reward them. Anytime that flaw comes into play, and it could be just be as small as the spotlight is now on them we are all paying attention to them and what they do and the decision they make
1: what do you mean as small as that's like the main benefit (laughs) that's what we're here for that's why flaws are awesome is because (laughs) you get more spotlight um i'm here to increase numbers on a sheet okay well let me get you an eraser then (laughs) yes uh yeah so if if that spotlight is not enough for your players and i mean it doesn't need to be enough yeah to be fair i mean that's not a problem lots of players would like to get some some type of mechanical benefit in addition to playing their flaws because it does take a certain player mindset to appreciate your character's failure and shortcomings as uh, fun <laughs> for playing that character especially when you've got you know the escapism and, and sort of wish fulfillment of mm-hmm. the hobby right yeah so if a flaw is played well then that adds to the
0: enjoyment of everyone at the table so yeah throw them a bone
1: so 5e is great for this. It has inspiration. Yeah, built right into the system. Yeah. Often overlooked subsystem of 5e, I've found.
0: Yeah, I actually used it much less than I thought I would when I was running the game, and I would always look back and go, oh, I should have given an inspiration for that.
1: Well, we and we always, like, hoarded our inspiration. Yeah, you we guys weren't totally sure. did. Because well, yeah. it's an economy, right? And this is this is true for almost every reward system, is, is that there's an economy of if I spend it, I have to have a chance to get it back. And so if you're not... Sure, you've got to give it out like candy to encourage your players to actually use the reward that they're given. Yeah. But when you invoke a character's flaw and fate, they gain a fate point back. Dark side points in FFG's Star Wars work similarly. I mean, they're not always tied to flaws, but they're always negative outcomes for the players.
0: It happens in Cypher as well. Yeah, Cypher system has one too. Uh, GM, the GM, GM intrusion. intrusion. Yeah. yeah.
1: Which isn't always tied to a flaw either, but it but is. But can be. And it's
0: a nice hook.
1: Right. for a reason why that happened. Exactly. Yeah, it is nice to invoke a character's flaw as your GM intrusion mm-hmm. in Numenera cipher system. So, we're not just people who talk about flaws, we're also people who play them. Shane,
0: what was Brand's flaw in the Morning Glory campaign?
1: Uh Brand's flaw of uh, among It'd, many. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was basically all flaw. He was a lot of flaws. <laughs> I, he was an inquisitor, okay? So that just has some baked in flaws.
0: Yeah, like if I had built a feat called Inquisitor or something like that. It definitely would have had huge drawbacks and then
1: huge bonuses. Is What were his huge bonuses? His huge bonuses were you let me min-max? Not
0: immediately <laughs> murdered by Paladins of the Silver Fly. Oh,
1: so there's that, yeah. <laughs> Despite being a heretical dragon-touch sorcerer. Oh, right, right,
0: so lots of, of leeway. Plenty of rope to hang yourself with. Right, yeah. Right? You get the benefit of the doubt right. <laughs> from the Templars. <laughs> I mean, he says it's not heresy. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So, I mean, yeah. So in addition to being an Inquisitor, right, Brand always prized the greater good and was uh, very, like, tactically or or strategically focused, right? He was good at taking the long view. Um, But the flaw that really kind of highlighted this was he always played his cards close to his chest. So he had lots of sources and information and, and sort of side hustles and those sorts of things that provided useful stuff to the party but he never talked about them. So he would just have information or suggest plans or make an offer or do something. And everyone would kind of give him the side eye and be like, don't know if we can trust you right now, Inquisitor. Explain yourself. It's like, oh, I got a guy. No, I got a guy for that.
0: Yeah, it wasn't really until basically the end of the campaign when everyone sort of looked around and went, oh, brand was trustworthy yeah (laughs) because the entire time leading up to that it was always all right when is he going to betray us because that's got he's got to be building up to something
1: i was super good at deception so i was constantly Mm -hmm. lying to npcs on our behalf but the party knew that i was super good at lying (laughs) yeah (laughs) because they knew knew i was lying yeah
0: that's not true wow that was convincing though yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) so how about you ishan what was your favorite flawed character
0: I mean, one of my favorite characters of all time was Quinn from Eclipse Phase, which was just a giant floating, shape-changing lithium orb.
1: Oh, he was an orb. I always envisioned him as like a flat. He was like a flat so, panel monitor, basically.
0: So he was his normal, quote unquote, normal shape was like a six foot tall capsule, like sort of the shape of a, like a, a cylinder. Yeah, yeah, with like rounded ends. Yeah, but you know, his skin was a billboard. Oh, okay. Right? Like. <laughs> So, so he would often flatten into a billboard, yes. Right, okay.
1: Right. So so what was, I mean, I, in addition to being, being an, an amorphous blob right. of metal, of living metal, right. what were his flaws?
0: <laughs> he was definitely quirky, but terrible at any kind of charismatic interpersonal communication. So in game terms, savvy is the lowest. It can be 10, and then no boosts to it. But he had a flaw that made him just awful at one particular skill, and that was deception. So he actually had a zero in deception, which, which meant that he could lie. It was just impossible for him to tell a convincing lie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and he had the kind of personality where it wouldn't necessarily occur to him that, like, maybe I shouldn't be saying this. Right. So the party always had to make sure that no enemy asked him a direct question that they didn't want answered. Yeah, exactly. Because even if he knew, oh, I probably shouldn't say this, his lie would always be so bad that it was obvious what the truth was
1: yeah and quinn was very precocious so the idea that he was gonna not say anything <laughs> was, was really not on the table right he was very Quinn forward <laughs> right but but precocious was one of his merits <laughs> so
0: <laughs> too smart for his own good right yes
1: <laughs> but for me i think my favorite flaw story of our group was when we played warhammer fantasy so to advance in warhammer fantasy you often need trappings so you need to accumulate stuff in order to gain levels in a certain occupation or class that really came to a head for jim (laughs) yeah he was an ambitious nobleman from a
0: house that had fallen on bad times and so he was trying to work his way up into the good graces of the court he wanted to be a courtier but in order to do that you need really nice clothes And he
1: didn't have the money for nice clothes. No, not at all. But he did happen to find himself in a nobleman's bedchamber.
0: (laughs) We were robbing the place, yes. (laughs) But we weren't looking for clothes. However, he found a wardrobe and lots of clothes and said, Oh, I need these. In fact, I have to have these. His flaw was, well, aside from hubris (laughs) (laughs) and short-sightedness, Right.
1: (laughs) Was his ambition and impulsiveness? Yes, so really a bevy of flaws. Right, but But, this all this all comes back to Jim sitting at the table and going, "I mean, there is no way that I'm not taking all of these clothes, right? Like, I there is no way my character is going to walk past this opportunity." So, yeah,
0: this is the opportunity, literally the opportunity of a lifetime.
1: And then what happened?
0: Well, the captain of the guard who had a gun by the way Warhammer Fantasy and he had a gun so that, you know this guy good. was tough Yeah, <laughs> walked into the room <laughs> while Jim's character was holding four full sets of nobleman's garb <laughs> there was only one entrance into the room but there was a window <laughs> on the second story which of course if you've played Warhammer Fantasy you know that a fall from two stories up is almost definitely lethal <laughs>
1: And then what happened?
0: <laughs> he took a running leap through the window while getting shot at. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then what happened? He got cut up with a lot of
0: splintered glass. He landed on the ground, barely survived, and then ran quickly away, later finding out that one of the garments had a bullet, <laughs> 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 a bullet <laughs> hole in it which needed to get <laughs> repaired. <ruined>. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. My character, of course, had to deal with the angry guy with a gun. Right. Which is why, of course, my flaw was guarding the noble. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh. Plot stuff happened in Warhammer Fantasy, but really it was the character advancement that really made the system for us.
0: Yeah. Cameron's flaw was starts riots. You know, that is often his character's flaws. Yeah, that wasn't
1: the only game where he's had that flaw. We've started multiple riots in our games. (laughs) Cameron has started multiple riots (laughs) in our games. Speaking of riots, do you hear that, Ishan?
0: I didn't know pitchforks and torches made that sound.
1: Well, let's uh, go hide out in the character creation forge until this all dies down. Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous,
0: M-U-N-Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ethan at Evil Sends carne that's malice minus meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us if you can't fit it into 140 characters at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com.
1: And last but not least, you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. So this
0: week in the Character Creation Forge, we have promised you an Executioner. Shane, what does an
1: Executioner do? He removes people's heads. Oh, right. So just random fighter with a vorpal sword. Yeah, basically. Yeah. (laughs) No, he, uh, you know, he wears a black hood, carries a giant axe, probably isn't wearing a shirt, has Mm -hmm. lots of muscles, you know, he's uh, ready to chop your head off. It's kind of his deal. He carries out justice in the kingdom.
0: Carries out, quote unquote, justice. He
1: carries out the king's justice, (laughs) (laughs) not the platonic ideal of justice.
0: (laughs) So ideally the Executioner lops off a head with one blow. But, you know, sometimes the axe is a little bit dull, right? He didn't sharpen the guillotine properly. Yeah, takes a few hits. Yeah. <laughs>
1: you know, sometimes HP or an abstract concept, it's mm. a little bit difficult to wear through that. So,
0: yeah. You yeah. can't always position a coup de grace. Yeah, yeah. This build tries to deliver the largest critical hits possible with a big axe.
1: So we went Champion Fighter 11, Vengeance Paladin 6, and Bear Totem Barbarian 3.
0: I mean, just from this class spread, it seems fun because you're going to be making a bunch of attacks, you're going to be doing a bunch of damage with Smites, and you're going to be able to take a bunch of damage because you're a Bear Barbarian.
1: Yeah. So you don't have to wear a shirt.
0: <laughs> right. I mean, that's that was necessary. Right.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> was, I mean, <laughs> that's the reason we don't have Assassin Rogue, because <laughs> I didn't want to have to wear a shirt.
1: So the champion, as you've noted, will give you improved critical. So you'll crit on a 19 or a 20. And then champion 11 gets you three attacks. So if at first you don't succeed, try and try again. And try and try and try. Yeah. Uh, Vengeance Paladin gives you Hunter's Mark, which will give you um, some extra damage to throw onto those crits, as well as Smites. And then Vow of Enmity, which gives you advantage on attacks against a creature for the next minute, which, you know, you're you're handing out the King's Justice, you look at him, you see him as your enemy, and then you remove his head. Obviously.
0: Even outside that minute or when you're attacking something that isn't the target of your vow of enmity, you've got reckless attack from Barbarian. So you should pretty much be making all of your attacks with advantage.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, and and when you're raging you get the bonus damage resistance from the bear totem. So you'll you'll be resistant to everything but psychic fitting oh yeah the only thing that hurts is the
0: screams of the family
1: right so we will of course take half work as our race which will give us proficiency in intimidation which is super thematic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because if there's one thing i remember from the disney robin hood cartoon it's that executioner <laughs> who i believe was a hippopotamus <laughs> or was it a rhino i think it was a rhino right the horn right yeah. like,
0: like uh bebop or is it rock steady? Oh, who cares? It's totally it's rock steady. Actually. It is rock steady, yeah. you're right.
1: <laughs> uh, and then the half orc also gets savage attacks, which gives you an extra weapon damage die on a crit. So that'll be a d12 because you're gonna use a great axe. Yeah, just do that. Because it's cooler. Yeah, definitely. Then you'll also get two fighting styles, one from Paladin, which you'll take great weapon fighting, and then one from fighter. Now nothing really synergizes well with amongst the fighting styles and you're not wearing armor so you can't even take that fighting style which gives you a bonus ac so mm-hmm. i just say take two weapon fighting that way if you want to you can use two axes yeah it's your prerogative the other potential option the only
0: thing that would be interesting would be archery so you know range attacks yeah or
1: eh. or maybe you could take dueling fighting style so you'll get a bonus when you're only using a one-handed battle axe. Yeah, but that's really more of a mechanical option because it doesn't really yeah. fit thematically. Yeah. I, I just like the idea that you can throw down your great axe or you could be disarmed with your great axe and then just pull out two more smaller axes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, better than like a rapier. Yeah.
1: I, I mean this if you could fit it into a uh, the Dwarven battle rager, that, that's just perfect because he's the axe idiot. <laughs> you are confident in all forms of axery. <laughs> X hattery X hattery (laughs) and then in terms of feats you probably are just going to want to take ASIs because you've only got four of them and you kind of need a lot of stuff uh, because you're a paladin you need charisma because you're a barbarian you want some con and dex so Um, maybe you might consider great weapon fighter that gives you the minus five to hit for a plus ten damage and I just want to note savage attacker is a trap because it only re-rolls weapon damage die
0: Uh uh-uh So you're not going to get any bonus from all that extra damage that you're doing.
1: Yeah, you're not going to get two chances that you're damaged.
0: But ASIs are very useful for this build because you've got two AC stats and an attack stat.
1: Yeah. So Ishan, tell me about your executioner who joins an adventuring party.
0: You know, it seemed like a good day when the peasants revolted. You mean a busy day? Certainly. Uh, But then, after, you know, many years of meeting out the king's justice the last person to face your axe was the king himself. Oh, okay. But then the peasants instituted a constitutional democracy. And, of course, you weren't necessary anymore because they had judges and not judicial champions. Mm. Well, I have all this experience (laughs) and a big axe because they let you keep that, which is nice.
1: Oh, that's handy. Part of your pension. Right. Because now you have no job or employer. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And it turns out the executioner's union Didn't protect you at all. No, not at all. paid all those union dues. For nothing. Got nothing out of it. But you hear
0: there's some good executioner work down south. Yeah.
1: Okay, so you're just passing through.
0: Well, turns out the goblins need a killing. Yeah. And you're good at what you do. And the coin is good.
1: Never met a goblin that didn't need some (laughs) killing.
0: You're a simple man with simple pleasures. (laughs) Or at least you start out that way. Maybe someday... Who knows? An even bigger, shinier axe. (laughs) Maybe a shirt.
1: (laughs) But probably not. Someday I aspire to be clothed. (laughs) All right, Shane, what about your executioner? So my half-orc executioner comes from a tribe in which the job of executing the prisoners that are captured on its raids is a position of great honor so he's a vengeance paladin but he's a vengeance paladin of an evil orcish deity possibly grumps I mean basically grumps right yeah yeah yeah. I mean you don't need that other eye no (laughs) so my one eyed executioner (laughs) I I like to think he wears a hood and an eye patch and not just a hood with one spot one (laughs) slit
0: (laughs) that would cost extra right
1: so anyway yes so he is uh, meeting out Grunch's holy justice uh, upon the weaker. Right? So, having been captured by his tribe, you are thus put to death as your punishment. Uh, and that is his job. Until his tribe bites off a little more than they can chew.
0: Uh-oh.
1: And he is the last remaining member of that tribe. So, he hits the road with an axe and a skill set. A very specialized skill set. <laughs> Fortunately, if someone he meets is killable with an
0: axe, then they deserved death.
1: Right, exactly. For <laughs> grumptious glory.
0: Right, obviously. Right.
1: It's, uh, it's kind of a tautological system of worship. <laughs> he doesn't understand that word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what could die deserve to die. <laughs> All right. If you want to support the show, the easiest way to do that this week is to vote for us for an any at any-awards.com or... Follow the link in the show notes.
0: We're nominated for best podcasts. Now, while you're there, you can vote for a bunch of other people in other categories.
1: Right. And there's lots of deserving candidates, but we would appreciate your vote more than anything. So what do we have planned for next week's episode?
0: We'll be continuing our series on playing non-human characters. And next week, we'll be talking about elves.
1: I'll get the granola ready. (laughs) And in the character creation forge... We're building a wild runner, an elven barbarian. Well, that's it for episode 50 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Vote for us for the Ennies.